step into the wondrous realm of Exavalon, where mythical beings and magical creatures coexist in a world of enchantment and wonder. From humans to undead, elves to dwarves, knights to pirates, and orcs to barbarians, Exavalon is a diverse land filled with fascinating characters and legends. However, a grave danger looms over the land as the nefarious necromancers seek to usher in an era of darkness and despair. The stakes are high, but there is still hope, for heroes have risen to the call, ready to face a threat head-on and restore peace to the land. As you venture forth into Exavalon, you will witness breathtaking landscapes and experience unforgettable adventures. You will encounter dragons, demons, and other formidable foes, as well as make friends with loyal companions and wise mentors. Join us on this epic quest as we strive to defeat the necromancers and preserve the magic and wonder of Exavalon. From epic battles to heartwarming moments of bravery and friendship, Exavalon is a world like no other, and we invite you to be a part of it. Welcome to the Knights of Exavalon. A History of the Dragons and Sir Reginaldi's Tragic Birth That was a good rest. I needed that. Do you have any food and water? This is not an inn. Tell your tale and be done with it. How can I tell my tale without water? My throat is dry. Fine. Here is some water. You can have food after you tell me your tale. Fair enough. Uh, where was I? Oh, yes. The demon tree Blackthorn the Cruel had captured me, and Amaranth was getting ready to spread her decay to my body. Amaranth walked up to me, her hands reaching towards my helmet. In moments, she would remove it and see my dragon-human face. As a dead tree sister, my face would not scare or surprise her like it would with most people. I knew that once she could touch my face, she would inflict me with her decay, and that would be it. I would suffer a long, painful death. For some reason, perhaps it was being this close to the body of Azisrael, but all I could think about was my past. Perhaps it was my life flashing before my eyes, or wishing that things worked out differently. However, in these moments I assumed were my last, I thought about my mother. My mother was born in the Tinium Isum Desert in the city of Huguta, in the country of Chandler. The Tinium Isum Desert was an accursed place, hot year-round, little drinkable water, and barely any food. To the north and east is the Basher Mountains. To the south and west was the Gapemi Sea. If you had a boat, you could go south to Zondras Island, a place rich with resources though one had to be invited to go there, usually by the dragons. Zandras Island is where the Dragon Temple was, and where the wizards and cultists worshipped the dragons. Plus, the teleporter in the temple was the only way that humans could visit the floating sky island, Doragon Island. Dragons are prideful creatures that would never allow a human to ride on its back. 
The dragons were like the gods in some ways. They wanted praise, worship, and adoration from the people. Also like the gods, the dragons considered themselves better than humans. For thousands of years, the dragons were the real power in Exavalon. As the gods didn't care what the dragons did, as long as people were building churches and temples and giving the gods their proper worship. At first, people worshipped both the gods and the dragons, but as with most things, with more time, the people began to separate into two groups, those who worshipped the gods and those who worshipped the dragons. Which is why the Dragon Temple Mera S. Ankh was built on Zondras Island, and the reason for the Dragon Wizard's Tower and the Dragon's Pyramid in the Tinian Izum Desert. Even though the dragons could fly anywhere they pleased, they tended to stay in the same areas. It makes sense. Why would a fire dragon want to go to the frozen north? And why would an ice dragon want to live in a desert? We live in a place that makes us the most comfortable. Why would you choose to live somewhere you are miserable? Unless, of course, you had no other choice. Even then, under the right circumstances, you will leave. There are a few things you need to know about dragons. First, they age differently than us. 100 of our years is one year to them. Part of that aging is due to them having a piece of an elemental in them. Second, dragons do not hunt in the seas. That domain belongs to, Le to the Leviathans. The dragons and Leviathans have an agreement. The Leviathans will not attack the dragons when they fly over the seas as long as they do not take from the sea. There was a dragon. Oh, what was his name? It's on the tip of my tongue. Zundri the Stubborn. Yes, that was him. Very impressive. Zundri the Stubborn, as his name hints at, was stubborn. He was warned not to eat from the seas, but he reasoned that he had done it multiple times and had not been punished by the Leviathans. Plus, he had the power of green fire, the hottest of flames. He could easily scorch any Leviathan that dared oppose him. The day came when Zundri was flying just above the surface of the Dread Sea, like he always did, showing off that even the Leviathans were scared of him. But suddenly, the behemoth Leviathans had crashed above the surface and bit Zundri in half. Zundri's body, even though it could have been a huge feast for the Leviathans and other sea creatures, was left to rot in the sea. The Leviathans demanded that it be left there as an example to other dragons that the sea was their domain. Yes, I know all about this. What about your mother? I'm getting to that. The last thing you need to know is that the male dragons demanded a female virgin sacrifice each month. The dragons would have sex with the sacrifice before eating her. This unholy sacrament was performed in front of the dragon's worshippers. The better the sacrifice, 
the more blessings and protection the dragon would give to its followers. One of those sacrifices was my mother. The Deathlord cult of Amit Ek Al began worshipping the dragon Diagrid, the Deathlord, who had the elemental power of darkness. The cult offered it by my mother from her parents. Once they saw the gold, they sold her without a second thought. If they were not already killed, I would have done so myself. Rather than build a life for themselves with their gold, they spent it living the high life for a few months. Once the money was gone, they lived in worse poverty than they did before their wealth. Eventually dying in some gutter, the worms making better use of their bodies than they ever did. The Deathlord cult presented my mother to Diagid, who was pleased by my mother's beauty. He ravaged my mother's virtue, satisfying his lust. But when he was about to eat her, the cult used a spell to put the dragon to sleep. You see, the cult's plan was to create a human-dragon hybrid that they could turn into a warrior. They knew that they would never be able to control or command a dragon, but they could control a hybrid. The cult quickly sailed away from the island and hid in the old goblin mountain city of Nirmink and the Basher Mountains. When Diagid woke up, he was furious. Never before had any lesser being betrayed a dragon. He flew to Yuatah and Amat Ag'al, destroying both cities, killing thousands. Diagid flew around Exavalon, looking but never finding us. The cult provided for my mother until I was 10 years old. They were hoping to create a hybrid that had dragon powers. That was more dragon than human. But all I was, was a human with a dragon head. I could understand and speak the tongue of dragons, and could communicate with them telepathically, but that was it. When I turned 10, and the cult realized they wasted 10 years on me, a human dragon abomination, they tried to make a peace offering to Deergood. They sailed back to Zondras Island and offered my mom and I as sacrifices. He ate every member of the cult before eating my mother. As for me, he cursed me with his words when he told me that killing me would be doing me a favor, and that my punishment was to live as an abomination, never allowed to kill myself. I traveled around Exavalon, going from village to village, never finding a place where I was welcomed. So I lived in the mountains, the forest, swamps, caves, and really anywhere I could be alone, the whole time building my armor and training to accomplish my destiny to kill Diergid. Ten years later, I found and killed Diergid, who in a fit of rage covered Caterborough Castle in eternal darkness. Once I killed him, his darkness went away. King Griffith made me a knight of Odre Sacre. For honor! You may be wondering why any of this is important. 
Sadly, once I killed Deergood, I went on a crusade to kill all the dragons. They were all wicked beings who took advantage of the people, making them suffer to satisfy their own lustful desires. In my bloodlust, I foolishly killed Zisriel the Decayed, and because of that choice, I nearly destroyed Exavalon. Here, knight, you have earned some food. Eat, you can continue your tale later. Welcome to the History of Exavalon. Hello, and welcome back to my library. I am Aldor the Wise, one of many historians of Exavalon. Today I have an intriguing tale about how Exavalon was created. As a historian of Exavalon, I present to you the history of the creation of Exavalon. Today's tale begins in the year 0 BCE. This is the beginning of all things. In the beginning, Exavalon was but darkness, nothing more than an empty planet with no life, no water, no environment, and no light. When it comes to creation, there are certain rules. No god, titan, or elemental can create a planet. Planets are birthed by the cosmos. Nobody knows how, why, or how often the cosmos births planets. Exavalon is not the only planet in the universe, nor is this universe the only one. Only elementals can create earth, fire, wind, water, and air. Elementals are unable to create life. This is where the gods come in. The gods are responsible for creating life. The lesser gods create humans, elves, goblins, dwarves, orcs, and all manner of animals and creatures. The higher gods supervise the creation of these beings and demand worship and adoration from the lesser gods and their creations. The highest of the higher gods is Gerhosom. We will get more into Gerhosom later. The elementals and gods do not work together in this process of creation. It just so happens that the gods need the elementals to make the planet inhabitable for their creations. The elementals are constantly seeking newly born planets that they can help flourish with their powers. The elementals do not care what happens to the planet after they are done, for by the time the gods come to the planet, they have already left in search of the next planet. Elementals do not reproduce, neither do they die. They were born once of the cosmos, never to be born again. As for the gods, they were once beings who transcended beyond the limitations of power and knowledge while they were mortals, thus ascending to godhood. First, they must begin as lesser gods until they can challenge a higher god to a duel. The loser receives a second death the end of existence. There can only be three higher gods at a time, and the current three higher gods have not been challenged since well before the creation of Exavalon. The current three higher gods are Gihozom, Oku, and Sabah. The gods don't need worship and adoration other than their egos demand it. They enjoy having power over those they consider weaker than themselves. The gods hated that they were forced to wait for the elementals 
to prepare the planet before they could populate it with life. The gods were also mad that they couldn't decide on how the world was to be designed. Some worlds had more water, while others had more earth. Some worlds were extremely cold, while others were extremely hot. Some were rich with resources, while others barely had any. At first, the gods tried to reason with the elementals to consult with them on the design of the worlds. The elementals didn't want input from the gods. They didn't care about the gods' opinion. They designed the world how they wanted, and what happened after they left was none of their concern. This made the gods furious. They were not used to being told no, but they knew they couldn't do anything, for they held no power over the elementals. At least they didn't at the moment. The gods went to work on a new creation that would allow them to contain the power of the elementals. These were the titans. Four titans were created, one for each elemental. These titans were called Terra, Ignis, Aqua, and Ventus. Each titan was specifically designed to only be able to contain one elemental. Once the titans had contained the power of the elementals, the gods would be able to design worlds however they wanted. This would make them all-powerful beings, only relying on the cosmos to birth planets. But they were certain that they could steal the power of the cosmos too. But that could wait until they had the power of the elementals. The elementals came across an empty planet that would be named Exavalon. The elementals counseled with each other and decided that this planet was going to be designed to have a balance of hot and cold, water and earth, mountains, forests, deserts, swamps, and plains. The elementals, though they didn't care about the gods, they realized that it would be best to not make them enemies. Unbeknownst to the elementals, the gods had finished their titans and sent them to Exavalon to obtain the power of the elementals. The elementals had just finished designing Xavalon and were about to leave when the titan showed up. Before the elementals could say or do anything, the titans attacked them. The gods, not wanting the elementals to know they were behind the attack, watched from the heavens. If the elementals lost, the gods didn't want them to know they were behind the attack. If the titans won, then it wouldn't matter when the elementals found out they were behind the attack. The gods could rewrite history if they won. That is the thing about winning a war. The winner gets to rewrite history to their liking. The war between the titans and elementals lasted only but a year, which was but seconds to the elementals. The titans were able to capture the elementals and harvest their abilities. The elementals did not die once they were consumed by the titans, but continued to live inside the titans as docile beings. The gods came down to Exavalon once the titans won. Immediately, the gods told the titans to go to a newly born planet and design it per their specifications. They were told to return and report once they were done. It was at this moment that the titans rebelled against the gods, for they did not want to be their puppets, their only purpose to fulfill the will of the gods. 
The Titans waged war with the gods on Exavalon. The Titans began creating Titans of their own. The war went on for years, each side suffering major casualties while Exavalon was slowly being destroyed. It wasn't until the higher god Shabbat and the Titan Ignis became gravely injured that the gods and Titans realized that the war would only end with both sides being nearly destroyed. The two parties came to an agreement. The gods would let the Titans do and go where they wanted, if and only if they supplied their powers to the gods. The gods created worms and dragons to contain the power of the elementals. Each worm and dragon was given a specific elemental power. It wasn't until after the worms and dragons rebuilt Exavalon that the gods realized the titans had tricked them, for no worm or dragon was able to leave Exavalon. The gods tried to crossbreed the worms and dragons to eventually create one creature to contain all the power of the elementals. Unfortunately for the gods, they discovered that crossbreeding worms and dragons created new elemental powers, such as decay, plague, black fire, and black frost, to name a few. The crossbreeding also brought about the leviathans, or as they are also called, the god killers. The gods had no choice but to leave Exavalon, but not before creating life and letting them live with the consequences of their lust for power. It is rumored, but not confirmed, that Exavalon is the last planet that the gods created life on, for the gods are afraid that any newly designed planet are traps that the titans have set for them, waiting to finish off the gods, who were so blinded by their quest for ultimate power that they were so easily tricked into creating hell on Exavalon. This concludes the history of the creation of Exavalon. Come back another night and I will tell you about the history of the rise and fall of the goblins. Welcome to the Stories of Exavalon. Krieger, the Mighty Barbarian. Nobody chooses their parents, or even when or where they were born. Not even the parents get to choose what the baby will look like, or if they will be a boy or girl. As mortals, these things are out of our control. We often wonder if some higher power is deciding every detail of our birth and life, or if it is just a random toss of the runes. Either way, it matters little, as our only real power in life is our ability to choose for ourselves. You decide what you want to become, and your daily actions will either lead you away or closer to what you want to become. It doesn't matter where or how you were born. Nobody but you can stop yourself. Sure, you have mountains to climb, that you didn't choose to stand before, but that is life. You can wallow in self-pity, complaining how it is unfair, or you can conquer those mountains. The choice is, and only yours, Krieger. Krieger took another step into the Scotty wasteland as he remembered the words his adoptive father, Yurmund, would tell him every morning. His father was right. Life wasn't fair. It wasn't fair that his father could never be the barbarian chief of Slatfaker, even though he won the right to, 
all because he adopted a non-barbarian son, thus disqualifying himself from ever becoming a barbarian chief. Krieger was furious when he found out about this. He wanted to slaughter every barbarian who took away his father's destiny. It was soon thereafter that Krieger learned the real reason his father did not become chief. He was given a choice, you see. Kill Krieger or give up the throne. Learning this put Krieger in a deep depression. It was all his fault his father was a failure, stuck following a weaker chief who had no right to rule over him. Krieger was about to run away in the middle of the night. He had no place amongst the other barbarian tribes, and the dwarves would definitely not allow him sanctuary. But he was a large, muscular man, perhaps a blacksmith at Nairwood Castle, or a farmer in Quaris, or even the fish folk of Fiskard would put him to use. He would be miserable doing any one of these jobs, but at least he would be somewhere he was welcomed. Who was he to pursue his dreams of becoming the strongest barbarian? Maybe dreams were just for the fortunate, and the rest of us get to be there to support and work for the fortunate, getting to fight over what little scraps they throw our way, but always giving the king and god their share, which they didn't need, but demanded anyway. What are they going to do with all that gold and silver, sitting in some treasury, collecting dust, when it could go to good use? But gold and silver are a fool's measurement of power. True power comes from protecting the weak and fighting for what is right and good. Saving the village from a troll was true power. Standing up for what you believe in, regardless of what others think, is true power. True power comes from within, and is usually preceded by moments of nervousness and fear. Though despite feeling like you can't accomplish anything, you act anyway, because it is the right thing to do. Krieger suddenly came to a stop, surrounded by a thick, wintry fog. He knew he was in the middle of the Scotty Wasteland. This was an unholy fog that was only found in the heart of the Wasteland, produced by the evil that called this place home. He snapped his focus back to the present. This situation demanded his full attention. Even though he couldn't see them, he knew that the berserkers of Horskel were watching him. Somewhere in this fog was a poor Denzian of Sigurhotr hanging on a makeshift cross, bait for the great white polar bears the berserkers were hunting. Krieger would avoid any confrontation with berserkers. They were a tribe of barbarians who went mad with bloodlust, living on the edge of the Scotty wasteland, while the other barbarians lived safely tucked away in the Hirtdunum mountains. Then again, the berserkers considered themselves stronger and tougher than those who went by the name of barbarians. However, it was neither the berserkers or the great white polar bears that Krieger feared in this fog. What he feared was the Draugr, the living dead. Draugr weren't like the typical zombies, skeletons, ghouls, or revenants that necromancers reanim reanimated. The Draugr were barbarians in life who were reanimated by Hela, the goddess of death, and were infused with her power. The only thing that could kill them for good was fire, which is why they brought the freezing fog with them, where no fire could burn. Krieger unleashed his two-handed broadsword, Barbarian's Bane, a blade he received from his father, 
which was forged with dwarven steel, making it extra durable and sharp. He slowly walked further into the fog. In the distance, he could hear a woman whimpering, crying for help. The howling wind made it impossible to tell which direction her cries were coming from. The wind circled Krieger, coming from all directions. Then again, he knew that this was an unnatural wind. Behind him, he could hear the footsteps of the berserkers. He had to avoid the temptation to look behind, knowing that if he made eye contact, or if the berserkers even knew he was aware of their presence, they would rush him. Krieger was strong enough to take down two, maybe three berserkers at the same time. However, by his estimation, there were at least six tracking him, and maybe even more waiting outside of the fog. These berserkers could be useful, however. The closer he got to the woman, the closer they would get to him. Sure enough, with each footstep Krieger took, the closer the berserkers got. Krieger glanced out the side of his eyes. Standing ten feet away was a berserker wearing a bear skin and head. He had his battle axe at the ready, but remained still watching Krieger. Krieger took a deep breath and continued forward. Suddenly, the fog got so thick that it was impossible to see more than a few feet in front of him. The wind was so strong that Krieger had to lift his hand in front of his face to protect himself. From the frenzied footsteps, he could tell that the berserkers had lost him and they were afraid that he was close to the woman. Help me, please! A woman cried in front of him. Krieger rushed towards the sound until a six-foot cross stood in front of him. Tied to the cross was a beautiful woman with flowing black hair. Her only clothing was her underwear. Already her skin was turning blue. Blood dripped from her arm. Krieger grunted. He was correct. The berserkers were trying to bait a great white polar bear who were attracted to the smell of blood. Krieger cut the rope that was holding the woman to the cross. She collapsed in his arms. He wrapped her body in his wolfskin. If she didn't warm up soon, the frost would completely take over her body. Krieger was used to the cold and could survive long enough to get her home. What village are you from? Krieger asked. The woman mumbled something as she pointed towards the direction of Sigurhutter. Krieger sheathed his broadsword. There was no way that he would be able to properly wield it with one hand and he couldn't sit this woman down. He couldn't even consider that. No, he had to hold her. The warmth from his body and the wolfskin was the only thing keeping her alive. He reached for his battle axe. It wasn't the best weapon for the situation, but it would do, and hopefully he wouldn't have to use it. Suddenly, a blood-curdling scream broke through the howling wind, preceded by the sound of steel clashing and flesh being torn apart. Krieger began to run towards the Lefnerschnell forest. It was his only chance to escape the enemy that so easily tore the berserkers apart. The Draugr. The harder he ran, the thicker the fog got. Had he somehow turned himself around when he looked back? The fog was so thick that he had no idea what direction he was going in. East, west, north, south was all the same in this accursed fog. Krieger stopped to get his bearings. He was a seasoned traveler and just needed to calm his racing mind. 
he looked down at the woman and dropped her in horror. The once beautiful woman had turned into an ugly old witch with wrinkly skin. Her once perky breasts now hung down to her waist. Grimhilda! Krieger shouted in surprise and fear. Grimhilda cackled <laughs> as she got up and said, Always a hero, Krieger. The raven's chosen dies before the next moon. Krieger turned around, only to find a draugr standing behind him. Before he could react, the draugr hit him in the head with an axe handle, knocking him out. To be continued. This has been Tales from Exavalon, including the history of Exavalon, the knights of Exavalon, and stories of Exavalon. Tales from Exavalon is written and produced by Misfit Kid Publishing, LLC, all rights reserved. I would like to take a moment to personally thank you for listening to Tales from Exavalon. I hope you have enjoyed these stories, and I hope that you will come back to listen to the other stories that we will be producing. Thank you again, and may every day be an adventure. <laughs>